If you would, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, if, if you're new maybe to the Bible, um, are the Bibles in front of, in the, or the back of the pew in front of you um, are red, and you can look in the table of contents. If you don't have a Bible, then that Bible is our gift to you. Please take it, use it, read it. We would much rather have you using it at home, reading it every day, than it sitting here. We'll get a new one to replace it, okay? How am I doing on this? Is it on now? Okay. <clears throat> How often do you find yourself at a place where for you, you are just ready to give up? Like you wake up and you're like, I don't even want to face the day. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I've been through so much. I'm done. All right? Have you, like, if you've ever been in that spot before, ever, right? Yes. That is part and parcel to being a human. Is it not? For some of us, maybe you became a Christian and you thought, maybe someone even taught you that when you become a Christian, things get rosy, right? And here's the thing. Things get better. Amen? There are things about the Christian life that are good. But if anyone's ever told you that the Christian life comes without suffering, they lied. We're going to see the reality of that today. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning to your revealed word to us, God, may we come with a sense of all that you have revealed you and yourself and your will and your ways to us. God, you could have left us in the dark, but you have not. Lord, as we consider 
painful thought of suffering, God, give us understanding. Why, as Christians, we may face it and what you're doing through it and the fact that it is not meaningless, as the world so often says. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Convict us where we need conviction. Help me to speak your word, and may we see your word as true and sufficient for all that we will face in this life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We find Paul here in the book of 2 Corinthians, and his relationship with the Corinthian church has been rocky because Paul is the the pastor who planted the Corinthian church. So he goes and he starts it. And usually when you start a church... Right, People always look back on that, on that one pastor and think about how great that pastor was. Right, There's kind of a respect and a reverence for the pastor who founds the church that pastors that come after may or may not ever see. For us in New Mexico, the, the church that I pastored out there, every year because we supported he and his wife because they were missionaries at this point, the founding pastor of our church would come back. And it was an amazing thing to see because people had a, this, this awesome respect for him. His name was Jack, and they would come and see, he would come and see us, and people had this awesome respect for him. And I get, and I wasn't, I didn't have any issues with that, because I get it, right? The founding pastor, you love them. They, they started this church. Well, Paul did that for the Corinthian church, but unfortunately, because he left to go work with other churches, there were these folks who came in and started casting doubt on him and his authority. He refers to them in this book, as super apostles. And he doesn't mean that they could fly or had superpowers or anything like that. But they, you're supposed to laugh at that, right? Um, so they, he called them super apostles because they thought they were just hot stuff, right? They thought that they were really great. They had, maybe they, for them, they were great speakers. Paul knew a lot, but he, he was able to claim for himself that he wasn't a super strong speaker. Maybe they came with signs and wonders, We're not sure exactly what they were doing, but for them, they came in and they said, look how great we are. I know this guy was the one who, and he's a, you know, he calls himself an apostle, but look at him. He's so humble, and they didn't mean that in a good way. They meant in the fact that he's not bright and shiny and flashy. They said, he suffers, he gets beaten. Do you really believe this guy? The question they're really asking is this. If this guy is so great and he's sent from God, why is he suffering? And church, hear me today, there are people who ask that, and they claim that if you go through suffering, that you maybe don't know God, or you're not claiming that all that God has for you. I feel like I beat this drum a lot whenever I'm up here, but it's because so often today, people are pushing this idea that if you're in Christ, you will never suffer. That's not true. This morning, what I hope that we will see from God's Word is that suffering as a Christian is not punishment. It's not neglect on behalf of God. Instead, I want to see, and this is our main idea this morning, is that Christian suffering displays God's grace for His glory and even for our glory. And we talk about God's glory a lot, and we talk down a lot about our glory, right? And that's for good reason. We want God to be glorified above all. We're Protestants, right? We're not Catholic. We're Protestants. One of those things called the five solas, which is another conversation for another day to get into all those, but one of those is called soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. God is to be glorified above all in all that we do. We don't do anything to lift ourselves up and make ourselves look great. But God glorifies us. 
but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's walk through this passage, this, this, this bit of scripture, and see, okay? And one more time, if you want that main idea to write down, Christian suffering displays God's grace for his glory and for our glory. So let's walk through this. We suffer as a Christian. You will suffer as a Christian, full stop. It will happen, okay? Here's the good news. Verses 7 through 9, you only suffer in part. Here's what we mean by that. Why, what do you mean, the only suffer in part? Because there's a fullness of suffering that we could face that we haven't faced. Because first of all, the treasure, so he starts off in verse 7 and says, this treasure, it's in clay jars, right? What we have is this eternal thing, this glorious thing, but it's bound up in this, this item that's fragile. It seems worthless. Remember that clay jar I had with the kids' message? If I threw it down right now, it would shatter into a bunch of pieces, right? Dozens of pieces. But in that fragileness, what makes it worthy is the treasure that's inside of it, the hope that's inside of it, the power of God that's inside of it. See, for us, every day, as you go through life and you realize these aches, these pains, whatever it is that you're going through, you realize just how fragile you and your life is, right? Your life is fragile, but that's on purpose. It's so that the extraordinary power of God may, or the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. And Paul's saying for him as this apostle who is fragile as a person, who is humble, who isn't bright and shiny, that it's actually for God's glory. For us, it's in part because also if we're in Christ, one day there's a suffering that's going to come, and it's going to come at the point of the judgment. When Christ, looks at those, or when Christ looks at those who are in him, who have trusted in him, and he says, come in, be with me for eternity. And for those who haven't, he says, depart from me. I've never known you. To the lake of fire. For us, if we suffer now, we know that it has an end date, Right? The average age um, of a human, 77 years. And there's folks here who are beating that, right? I mean, that's awesome. Some folks may live 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. But no matter how long you live and suffer in this life, there is always an end date. But what comes for those who are not in Christ, there is no end date to it. Look what he says here in verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Whatever you're going through, you may feel afflicted. You may be perplexed, confused about what's going on. You may be being persecuted by other people. You may feel like you've been struck down, but none of those things are final for the Christian. Not a one of them. We suffer as Christians, and we do it in part. There's an end date to it. But we also suffer as Christians to display Christ's death and resurrection. This is verses 10 through 12. He says, We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. See, this is the argument the false apostles were using about Paul. That he's carrying, that he's suffering, that he's saying, Listen, I'm carrying around Christ's death, I'm taking part in his death, in his suffering. This is what Satan uses against us all the time. And maybe you've heard this ringing in your ears, even this week, even this morning, as you've come here, and you're thinking about all the things that are going, you're going through in your life. 
And Satan's sitting there and he's saying, you're suffering because you are doing something wrong. You've not got this Christian life figured out. You've messed up somehow. And this idea that there's a, a tit for tat is not Christianity. It's karma. It's a totally different religion. And we talked about this idea of carrying the death, though. This is this idea of, for them, they would have these great parades where they would carry around these images and these idols of these gods and these goddesses. And they would parade around and display the glory of that god or that goddess. Paul likely has that little parade going down the street in mind. But instead of carrying around these images of them, they're actually carrying around the death of Christ. I want you to understand here just what he means. Because a lot of times we can sterilize this idea of death in our mind, do we not? When we talk to our kids about a pet dying, we talk about they went over the rainbow bridge, you know, or whatever it is, right? We try to make it easy. But death's a hard thing. For him, he uses an idea of death. Normally he uses this, this term called thanatos. He uses a totally different word here. Necrosis. Now, that's the Greek, but you know what that means, right? If you have anything to do with the medical field. This idea of the rotting. That's what is rotten. Eaten away. Decaying. What an intense picture for death he gives us here. See, Jesus' death that we carry around in our body, it's actually eating away at the physical but it's supposed to. It eats away at those things in our lives that we are holding on white-knuckled to, right? We're just like grasping on those things, and we're like, I love this thing so much. Whatever it is in your life. And Jesus' death is causing us to die to that thing. It's eating away at those things. And he says this is happening always, not part of the time. And he says that we are being handed over to death all the time. This is something that's passive, though, and not active. This is what's interesting about this whole thing. We're we're, we're carrying the death of Jesus in our body, right? And then we are being handed over to death, given over to death, as he says. That's interesting, right? Because Paul's not saying that he's like walking into this dying to self thing. He's being handed over to it. Well, who could possibly hand him over to that? Only God. Only Christ. God's doing this. And he has a plan. And he has a purpose for it. See, he's putting Christ's death on display as we die to ourselves. As we go through these issues of suffering. He is putting Christ on display. It says, so that Jesus' life may be displayed in our mortal flesh. When we suffer these things. People see who Christ is. We're going to explain that a little bit more as we go. This is interesting because he says that when we're displaying Christ's death, we're actually extending God's grace. So let's see that in verses 13 through 15. He takes a little transition and he goes into quoting a psalmist. So the Psalms are these songs that are like right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, and they deal with really heavy emotional stuff. And so he's telling them, listen, we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written. He's saying there's a person a long time ago who wrote this Psalm that says, I believed, therefore I spoke. And, and he, he kind of 
what the psalmist says in Psalm 116.10. He says, I believed even when I said, I am severely oppressed. He looks back to the psalmist who is facing a trial. He says, I am severely oppressed, but I'm going to remain believing. And he says, we have that same spirit. Because for us, though we go through suffering, if we are in Christ, we remain believing. We keep on trusting. We keep on believing. And I hope that's where you are. I hope for you, as you face the suffering, you've not given up. Because God has not called us to give up, but to endure and persevere by his power. And we're going to see that here in just a minute, why exactly we can do that. Because it would kind of be hard if he just said, listen, you're going to suffer and life's tough but I've told you to do it, and I'm God, so you have to do what I say. But there's more to it than that. He has these purposes in it. One of those purposes, though, is to extend or display God's grace. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Verse 14, or before that, he talks about how the one who raised Jesus will one day raise us. We will one day be resurrected with him. But right now it's hard. Because he says in verse 15, he has to remind us it's actually for your benefit. What a wild thought. That what God is doing and allowing him to suffer in these ways is for his benefit. But why is it for his benefit? It is for his benefit because through this happening, as people see him carrying Christ's death and Christ's suffering and seeing him glorifying God in it, the grace extends. They look at him and they say, what in the world does this guy have? He goes and he preaches a gospel and he gets beaten with 39 lashes. He should die. And he goes and preaches the gospel again. And when people see the hope that we have in the midst of that suffering, they see something that the world cannot give them. And they say, I want that. So he says it's for your benefit because through what's happening to you, grace is extending more and more. And really at the end of the day, it's the cause of thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. People are being saved by seeing what is happening to Paul and by seeing how he perseveres through it. And God is being glorified. And this is the amazing news. It is to glorify God. But a lot of us have this hang-up, right? This idea that, why is it good that God is glorified in me going through a hard time, in me suffering? How is God glorified in my sickness, in my cancer, in my bankruptcy, in whatever it is, fill in the blank? Why is God glorified in that? It makes me think of John 9, chapter 9, verse 2, where these religious leaders come up to Jesus and they say, here's this man born blind. And they say, well, Jesus, who sinned? This guy or his parents that he was born blind? And he says, uh, that's not how this works. See, this man was born blind so that people could see God working in him. And then what does Jesus do? He heals him. God brings him out of that. That man suffered with blindness for we don't know how many years. From what we can tell, he's, he's a full-grown adult. He was blind from birth. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This has a purpose. This has a reason. This isn't meaningless. It isn't vindictive. It isn't petty. It has a purpose. Peter, in, in the epistle of 1 Peter, 
which talks all about suffering, says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Christian, do not be ashamed in the suffering you go through. God is being glorified in you. He's bringing people to himself. He is doing something. Christ suffered. And when he suffered, he brought the Father glory. He says that. He says, I'm here, and I'm here to glorify the Father. And as he suffered, he made God look great. As God is pouring out his wrath on his son, he makes God look great. Why? Because God is, is doing the thing that he set out to do from before the foundation of the world. He is saving a people for himself. He is making a people. And Christ glorifies the Father in his suffering, and so now as we suffer, we get to be like Christ, follow in his footsteps, and suffer to bring him glory. Before us, it's easy to stop here. And sometimes it's tempting for me to do because, once again, I hear, I hear the people who want to say that life and Christianity is all about you and your glory and making you look great. But you shouldn't overcorrect. You know what it means to overcorrect on something, right? Like when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden your wheel goes off the side. And if you yank the wheel back the other, day, the other way, what are you going to do? Instead of going a little bit to the left, you're going to go where? A lot of it to the left, right? I did this in high school. I was driving... I was driving to school one morning, and my wheel goes off. And, it's, and in my defense, it was, it was a, like 90-degree curve, right? I didn't just yank the wheel, but the way the curve, I'm just going to hold to that story, okay? I just pulled it a little bit, and it slingshotted me into an embankment. And I went way further this way than I wanted to go, right? That happened, okay? So be careful, teenagers. <laughs> but be careful, everyone, as we think about theology, and be careful to not overcorrect, because God is about his glory, but he is glorified in more than just our suffering. That suffering is for a little bit of time, a short amount of time. But God has something eternal in mind, and it's better. He actually does it to glorify us and to bring us glory. This is verses 16 through 18. As we think of all these things, you can still feel like you're losing heart, like you want to give up. God, I can't make it through one more day of this. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know when they're going to leave. They may be out the door tomorrow. Maybe they didn't come to church with you and you're afraid that if when you go home, they might be gone, that the closet will be empty and the suitcase will be gone. Maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe you're afraid that when you go back to the doctor, the cancer is going to be back. Maybe you're afraid that your job is going to be gone. You're going to show up tomorrow and because you've heard the rumors at work, you're going to show up there. There's a pink slip. Maybe you're afraid that if you go to dinner with your family this afternoon, you're going to get into one of those fights that your family always gets into. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to get the bill that's going to finally put you under and bankrupt you. Whatever it is, he says, don't give up. Therefore, do not give up. Other translations say it in a way I actually prefer better. And it says, don't lose heart. Because when you go through those things, you, you might want to lose heart, right? Don't lose heart, he says. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. When you reach a certain age, you start realizing that you've hit the top of the hill and you're starting to go the other way, right? I, like, and I know that I act like I'm an old man. I see someone shaking your head because you know what I'm going to say. I act like I'm an old man. I'm about to be 29 in a couple weeks. But there's still times that, like, my neck hurts, and I don't know why. 
right? Amen, right? Your neck, and you say, what, what happened, right? Listen, last summer at the beach, a wave hit me, and I fall on my hand, and I, and I look at it, and I say, well, that's not good, and you see, like, there's a bump here, and I look at it, and I say, well, that's not good, and I think that something's, like, broken or out of place, and so I go, and they're like, man, this thing's been broken for, like, who knows how long. You just irritated it. When I first came here, I, I was at the dump one day, and, like, I kicked, like, just walking by, I accidentally kicked this curb stop, and I think, like, I broke something in my toe, and it's, it's a year later, and it still hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I know that if I'm 28, about to be 29, there's a lot of you there who it's worse, right? Your outer self is wasting away. Amen? Amen. Your outer self is wasting away. <laughs> See, that's what it took. Okay, your outer self is wasting away. But guess what? Your inner person, your soul, who you are that's eternal, it is being renewed. As you go through those outer self wasting away, it is being renewed. Hear this. Verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Hear this, because this is good news. What you're going through, whatever it is, no matter how heavy it feels, Paul says it is momentary and it is light. And maybe you've been going through it for 30 years. And it doesn't feel momentary and light. And you lay awake at night and you say, God, when will this be over? Maybe you lay awake at night and you say, God, I'm ready to go home. Because I don't want to deal with this anymore. We remember verses 7 through 9, right? We're afflicted but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but not destroyed. Whatever it is you're going through, please understand that it is not eternal for you. It is not as heavy as it could be. It is not the full wrath of God. And instead of these things that are momentary and light, what God gives us is something of substance. Something. Because see, he says, your affliction, it's momentary. It's light. It's not going to stick around forever. It's not all that heavy. Because there's something better that's coming. When something's light, it feels cheap, doesn't it? You pick up something, and you're like... Maybe it's like a telephone. You like pick it up and you're like, why is that thing so light? And it feels like it's just like plastic, right? There's actually times with like electronics where they'll put a weight in it to make it feel heavier because if it feels heavier, it feels like it's actually more substantial, right? It feels like it's of a higher quality. When something's light, maybe it feels cheap. Or when something's light, it has no power behind it. If we were to go to the top of the hill up to the cross and roll a bouncy ball down, and that bouncy ball was to get to the bottom of the hill and hit you, what would it do? You're like, what in the, like, you probably wouldn't even see it coming, right? You're like, what in the world was that? But if we take a two-ton boulder and put it at the top of that hill and roll it down, what's going to happen? That bouncy ball doesn't change you, right? That bouncy ball doesn't have any substance, weight, power to it. But that two-ton boulder that has all kinds of weight, it's doing something, and it's going to do something to you. Paul says, your afflictions. They're momentary. They're light. But what I have for you, it's eternal and it's weighty. As you go through these things, you are gaining a glory from God that is eternal and weighty. It will change you and it will hold up forever. Please understand this. Suffering that you're facing, it is doing something. 
there's a lie in the world, and there's even a lie among Christians that says that what is happening in the world, it's random and it's meaningless. And Paul says it isn't. What you're going through, whatever it is, fill in the blank, it's not meaningless. It's doing something. It's making you more like Christ. It's displaying his death in your life as you go through it. It's extending his grace to more and more people. It's glorifying him, and it's bringing you an eternal way to glory one day. Don't buy the lie that it's meaningless, because it isn't meaningless. When Satan came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness... He was trying to tempt Jesus with really what's behind all that is the idea that what he was doing and being 40 days without food, that it was meaningless. That there was glory in another way. There was a shortcut to Christ's glory than the cross. And Jesus doesn't buy the lie because he knows. It's not what I'm going through, what I'm about to go through, and suffering and being beaten and going to the cross, it's not meaningless. It's creating an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's making us like Jesus. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says that the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, we're also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means we've been adopted into his family. But here's the conditional aspect of it. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. If we will suffer with Christ, if we will not shrug it off, if we will not run from it, if we will say, Christ, I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to not go into this place of denying you, doubting you, leaving the faith behind. If we will suffer with him, then we'll be glorified with him. What an amazing thought. We know that if we look at what's seen, this is the last verse. He says, don't focus on what's seen. I know that what is in front of you right now, what you are seeing right now in front of you when you go home, when you look at the bank account, whenever you go to work and see all that you have to do, whatever it is, the things that are seen, he says, don't focus on what's seen. I can handle it. But focus on what's unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But all the things that you're seeing right now in this life, those things will be here for a short while, Right? James says that we're like a mist. That is like a little puff of smoke. And if you ever light a match and then blow it out, see how long it takes for the smoke to dissipate. It's about, it takes about this far from the top of the match up to here. That smoke dissipates. What we're going through, whatever it is you're going through, is temporary. But what is unseen, that's what's eternal. If we look at what's seen, we're going to be frustrated all the time. We're going to see others doing better than us. We're going to see people who have all these things and they're being glorified here on earth. We have to look on what is unseen. If you're a Christian here, I want to encourage you to consider the upside-down kingdom of God because it is a kingdom that feels upside-down. For us in America, for us at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church, we value success. We value education. We value wealth. And those things in and of themselves are not inherently wrong. But for a lot of us, we want to be someone. We want to be known. We want to walk down Main Street and people to see us and say hey to us and be glad to, to know us. 
But instead of us being, wanting to be someone, wanting to be known, God values something else. He values humility. He values weakness. Because his love and his power, they were made to know, through the, they were made to be known through the suffering and through the death of Jesus. So we see Paul here, and for the Christian, the thoughts of, so what do we do with this? How do I take this and, and, and go out there? I know it's to say, focus on what's eternal and not what's temporary. Understand that God's doing this all for good. But I want you to understand something. Paul, at the heart of this, to sum it up, he is reading the cross into every experience that he goes through. He's reading the cross of Christ into it. And the question is, do you read the cross of Christ into everything that you go through? If you're a Christian, for you, you're constantly frustrated there is, on one hand, the absolute reality that we need to be honest with God when we're frustrated. But on the other hand, there's the reality that we can take on this incredibly sour attitude, this frustrated attitude towards God. And for us, a lot of us, and myself included, when I go through that stuff, I need to, instead of just sitting on it and like loving that sourness, repent of it. Because God is doing something else. He is preparing us an eternal weight of glory. If you're suffering, and if you're a human, then you have, or you will be soon, or you're coming out of it, I want to encourage you to do something. Leverage that suffering. Leverage it for the kingdom. Don't make it meaningless on earth. It's not meaningless eternally, but don't make it meaningless on earth either, because you can make something meaningless here, because you just take it, and then you say, all right, fine, I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen, or it didn't happen. But for you, if you're a dialysis, if you're in chemo, you can sit there and you can talk to somebody about the hope that you have. If you've lost a spouse, you can find people who have lost a spouse and thought they've lost everything and tell, and tell them, listen, there is something greater, eternal, and it's Christ. You can talk to someone, if you went bankrupt, who went bankrupt. If your business went under, you can talk to people whose business went under. If your marriage failed, you can talk to people whose marriage failed. And you can leverage that suffering for the kingdom so that God's grace may be known and seen through it. And you can bring people to Christ. Please don't leverage it just to be nice, though. Atheists can be nice. People of any religion can be nice. There is something, one thing, one thing alone that Christianity has that no one else has, and it is the gospel of Christ. That's it. That's the one thing that we have is the gospel of Christ. Don't just be nice. Explain to them the good news of Jesus and how that allows you to not focus on what is seen but what is eternal. You can praise God for it too. You can come in here and in the midst of the suffering, praise God. And it feels like such a backward things, backwards thing to do. But if it's really doing what he says it is, if, if, if this suffering right now is really light and momentary and it's creating something that is weighty and eternal, what an amazing trade-off. We can praise God for it. Satan in this life will tempt you to despair. He'll tempt you to despair because you're suffering. But please remember Christ. When he suffered as he was in the wilderness, his response to Satan was, it is written. And for you, I would encourage you, as you feel those things, and Satan comes and he says, listen, you might not even be a Christian. Why are you going through this? Do you think God really loves you? You can say now to that voice, it is written. It is written. It is written here. My outer person is wasting away, but my inner self is being renewed day by day. This is light and momentary, 
But there's something coming better that's eternal and weighty. It is written. If you're here, though, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're an unbeliever. You're someone who has been looking to that which is seen for all these years, and you've never looked to that which is unseen. Please, I beg of you, look to that which is unseen. Look to that which is beyond the suffering that you're going through right now to the eternal. Could it be possible that God is trying to get your attention as you go through what you go through? Because you've been relying on yourself all these years. And he's allowing you to go through this so that you can be saved from your sin. So that you can trust in Christ and what he did on the cross. Because see, what he did there was to take your sins and he gives you his righteousness. Those sins that you have, he takes them on himself and he gives you that eternal way to glory. And for you, I encourage you to not look on what is seen, but what is unseen so that maybe now you can start to trust in God, to believe in him, to make him your savior. Turn to him. But my word of warning to you, which we're not used to that either, right? Warning an unbeliever. Listen, I want you to get saved so much that you can't even understand how much I want you to be saved. But Jesus told people to count the cost. Many false converts have come and thought because they walked up here and prayed a prayer and signed a card that they're good and they never counted the cost and they fell away. And John in 1 John says they went out from us because they were never actually of us. Count the cost. If you're hoping to get out of, if you're hoping for a get out of suffering free or a get out of hell free or whatever it is, understand there is a cost to following Christ. But what he offers to you brings suffering for the here and now, brings maybe pain for the here and now. Understand that what he offers to you is eternal and weighty and perfect and glorious. It's a call to die to yourself and to all your desires, but it is a call to be glorified in him and with him. Let's pray. Father, as we think about these things, we know that you, Lord, are good. God, help us, if if nothing else, to understand in your scriptures that you are good. Your ways are above our ways, and sometimes we don't understand. But Lord, In the worst situations, you're bringing about good. Help us to understand, no matter what we went through, no matter how unjust it feels, that the most unjust event that ever happened in the history of the world was the perfect Son of God being killed for something that he did not do. But remember that that happened so that we might be saved. Help us to live in light of what is unseen. Help us understand that you are glorifying yourself and you're glorifying us in these things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.